Hello, fellow lovers of all things green. I'm Mary Stone, and welcome to Garden Dilemmas, Delights, and Discoveries. It's not only about gardens, it's about nature's inspirations, about grasping the glories of the world around us, gathering what we learn from Mother Nature, and carrying these lessons into our garden of life. So let's jump in in the spirit of learning from each other. We have lots to talk about. <laughs> I just adore their sound. I just adore their sound. Hello, fellow listeners. It's Mary Stone speaking to you from the screen porch. In the evening, actually, the sun has gone down. It's soon to be dark. My plants are on the porch. I have camped out a few times. And I just thought I'd take a moment to take this all in. Because we are now in the full swing of the growing season. And uh, one of the things I'm sad to report, actually kind of frustrated to report, is that the leatherleaf viburnum, which is right outside of the screen porch, you know, towards the backside, are now fully infested once again with what I think are aphids. <laughs> I don't know. I really have to say these critters that invade our lives can be so frustrating and yet I guess they all serve a purpose. So anyway, come morning I'm going to share the story of my desperate measures that occurred a few years back and I'm going to hmm, try to figure out what the next course of action is going to be as the invaders have curled and distorted the leaves of the viburnum to the point of grave ugliness and unhealth for the plant. I don't know. I think I'm going to have to become a bug expert. <laughs> but for now, I'm going to just enjoy the sounds of my screen porch. I will see you in the morning. Good morning. I'm back on the screen porch after a morning walk. I took about 20 ticks off of Jolie as we were walking along the road. Of course, she tucks into the brush, and I'm sure that's where they jump onto her. But speaking of pests, I can warm up to many insects, but not ticks. And I'm kind of thinking of my dear mom, who was an RN in her day. She, she said to me a couple of times, when I get to heaven, I have a few things I want to talk to God about. One is our menstrual cycles. Can I say that on this podcast? She seems to think we should have only had them twice a year. You know, why have them every month? <laughs> Coming from a woman with five children, you can see why she thought that. But, but the funnier one to me was the uh, ticks. I see no purpose for ticks. So I don't know, Mom, I guess you don't have any weight up there in heaven because we certainly are having our share of them this season. Oh my goodness. And Jolie has now joined me. Hello, Jolie. Come on over. Say hello to our listeners. Jolie. Come on, little girl. She's very curious, and she enjoys pouncing on insects, of which there are many. Hello, Jolie. Say hello. <laughs> so I mentioned my viburnum dilemma, and I have to say I have not kept up with the protocols of spraying my go-to neem oil, which we'll chat a bit about. And um, I don't know where time goes. It just seems like it just races by. <laughs> so 
the column that talks about my desperate measures is titled Reasons to Prune, and it starts like this. The reasons to prune are similar to the reasons for caring for ourselves and our families, improving appearance and health, training the young, controlling size, preventing injury or damage, rejuvenating the old, and influencing bounty. But choosing the right plant is the first step to limit the need for pruning. Then there are times that desperate measures call for rejuvenation pruning. And that is my viburnum. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. While planning a new foundation planting, Darren from Hackettstown, New Jersey asked about pruning. With proper plant selection and placement, he won't have to prune for years. Choose plants appropriate in size for the area, allowing space to grow. It's a common mistake to plant young plants too close to the foundation. Find out the mature widths and heights and space accordingly. For example, a shrub that matures to 10 feet high and 5 feet wide should be planted 5 feet apart from the center of the plant. For trees, spacing them by half their width at maturity is a basic rule of thumb, but not a catch-all as there are variables such as growth rates to consider. For fast-growing trees, you may wish to space them further. Or, if you are seeking a quick screen, plant them closer together. So while Darren won't have to control size for a while, he's smart to think about the other reasons to prune. It's best to train while young rather than have to rejuvenate when old, which parallels the adage of keeping fit. In general, once your plant reaches the desired size, you can prune the new growth every year right after the bloom to maintain its size. I wish it were that easy for us. There's a subtitle here, Rejuvenation Pruning, the Story of an Aphid Invasion. Then there are desperate situations that call for drastic measures. My viburnum radiophyllum, leatherleaf viburnum, has gotten beyond desperate in terms of invaders sucking the life out of their leaves. Over the last few years, aphids have caused severe leaf curl disfigurement, and the plants look bloody awful. I've treated them with neem oil, a natural alternative to synthetic pesticides, made from the neem tree, by the way, which is uh, not a tree native here, but a wonderful, I call it my duct tape in the garden. I think I've spoken about that before. I use it for so many things, such as fungus dilemmas, as well as insect dilemmas. And they say, actually, it has a bacterial, antibacterial component. And so it was high demand during COVID. I've treated them with neem oil, but the leaves curl tightly. If you don't intervene early enough, the oil won't successfully suffocate the suckers. Indeed, I didn't apply the oil often enough either. They say every five to seven days. After the bloom, I cut each stalk down in varying heights from one to three feet, removing all remaining lower leaves. Yes, a desperate measure, but I think there's enough storage in the root systems to rejuvenate the plants. Next week, I'll share my interim solution to camouflaging the uglies while the plants recover. The topic of pruning can't go without the mention of one of my top pet peeves, shearing shrubs into meatballs or hockey pucks. I think meatballs are far more appealing in pasta bowls, not along a foundation. Garden dilemmas? AskMaryStone.com. So I did um, provide a link to the camouflage, which was a story about castor bean plants, which I used uh, below the viburnum as they went through their first year of recovery. 
And um, as many of you know, or at least maybe some of you know, that castor beans have a reputation of being dangerously toxic, which isn't entirely true, although they are poisonous. But then many of our ornamental plants are toxic if ingested, such as azaleas, yews, and daffodils, to name just a few. If you review the list of poisonous plants, including the foliage of food plants, such as onions, garlic, tomatoes, lima beans, and potatoes, you'll be nervous about planting many things. The bottom line, we should teach our children not to eat what's not intended to be eaten. Not so easy with animals, I suppose, although most animals have the instinct not to eat poisonous things. So one of my clients named Barbara, who I just adore, who's now living in South Carolina, but when she was living up here in New Jersey in one of the most high concentration of deer areas, we used castor bean for the reasons I just described, because all parts of it are poisonous. And would you believe the darn deer chomped the top off of each one of them and just left it on the ground? Unbelievable. I swear, when Barbara moved to South Carolina, I think it was to get away from the deer. There you go. A bit more about the castor bean, which is Ricinus communis is the botanical name. It's a tropical plant native to Africa, which make striking annual plants in our zone. The leaves are large and reddish, and the plant grows five to seven feet or more, creating a commanding presence in the garden. They prefer full sun or light shade and can handle most soil, other than they cannot handle constant wet feet. Their fuzzy flowers are not their finest feature and are hidden by their unusual foliage. When I wrote this story, it was when I was in Virginia attending to my mom and she was in her last years of dementia. It was a long, long journey. And it makes me think about three years prior when she was still able to maneuver around. We visited Thomas Jefferson's Monticello estate in Charlottesville, Virginia. And uh, as you may know, Jefferson was a collector of plants, and there was a tour guide which explained a lot of his finds, and one of them was castor beans that he had deliberately planted to deter moles, and it was not successful. Though an oil distilled from the beans and applied to the soil may work, as with the medicinal castor oil, the poisonous ricin is removed during the distilling process. Thomas Jefferson cultivated a castor bean plant to grow 22 feet tall, fitting for his competitive nature. Think of all the uglies 22 feet could hide. Garden dilemmas? Ask MaryStone.com. So in my arsenal of my next step for my leatherleaf viburnum, I'm not going to cut them down again because I don't want to go through three more years of rejuvenation. Not to say that's a bad thing. I think the plant would recover. But I'm going to carefully, and this will be time-consuming, I'm going to pick off all the curled leaves. We're early in the season, so I think the um, plant will bring out new leaves. And then I'm going to spray a product that I just purchased by Bonine, which is Pretherin, Garden Insect Spray. Pretherin is actually a um, natural product that comes from chrysanthemums. I should remember that easily. And so it's, it's one of the wonderfully effective insect sprays that doesn't have a tremendous residual effect, so you can use it on, you know, edibles. Hopefully they're not going to jump onto my vegetable garden, though. Please, please, please. So anyway, we're going to give this a shot. I'm going to try to keep up with the timing. I haven't read yet. I think it's every five to seven days as well. So we will see what happens. I'll have to update you.
what to do to remedy aphids is something that has just been a chronic problem for me. I have them on my hydrangea last year, although that seems to be eradicated due to my kind neighbor who shared some ladybugs that she uh, had purchased as a science lesson for her children, which became a column topic titled Beneficial Ladybugs. But I'm going to go grab a cup of, I think, iced tea. Actually, it's lovely today, but we've had some heat and coffee is just not on the menu after breakfast to me. But uh, anyway, why don't you grab a cup of coffee or tea and join me back on the screen porch and I will share the story of my kind neighbor and the gift of ladybugs. So the column is titled Beneficial Ladybugs and it starts like this. Hello fellow readers. Sometimes I think I should have been a bug expert given all the garden dilemmas from insects that folks ask about. Fortunately, there are also beneficial bugs, such as the much-loved ladybugs. For sure, many insects can cause havoc, like we just spoke about with the aphids and my viburnum, which resulted in desperate measures to rejuvenate the plant. Gratefully, the viburnum radiophyllum rebounded beautifully after a few years of recovery. Then, this spring, the darn little suckers returned. So this story was last year. That would be 2020, and here we are in 2021, and um, boy, oh boy, as I told you, I am back to where I started. I used the tried and true neem oil three times in five to seven day intervals, as described, trying to stay ahead of the population of the tiny, dark, grayish green critters that suck the sap from the leaves, causing them to curl. Neem oil is a natural oil that comes from the neem tree that discourages fungi and parasites. I even hand-pinched each withered leaf, more than I can count, tossing them into a Ziploc, then the trash for good riddance. But the darn aphids were winning, and so out came the heavy hitter in my natural organic arsenal, Spinosad, called Bullseye. Like neem oil, is safe for people, pets, and the environment. Seems to have done the trick on the viburnum. So here I am, post-fourth quarter, and I am telling you. I am telling you. Now the sons of the guns jumped onto the hydrangea in the front of the house. My kind neighbor Monica came to the rescue with her adopted beneficial ladybugs that served as an educational experiment for her kids. She offered them as lace wings, plentiful in her yard, are managing her aphids. She hand-delivered the cute little ladybug land and twelve little ladies ready to do their work. Ladybugs, which are Hippodamia convergens, listen to me, I'm doing pretty well this time on all the scientific names. Ladybugs are beneficial beetles that you can buy via mail order for your garden. Also known as lady beetles, they aren't technically bugs, they can eat 50 aphids a day or 5,000 in their three-year lifetime. Ladybugs also feed on other pests, including mites, leafhoppers, scales, and mealybugs. This is the thing, though. There are other ladybug look-alikes, and this is totally what is invading your homes, if you have that dilemma. Not to be confused by the Asian lady beetle, Harmonio axiridis, introduced by the U.S. Department of Agriculture for biological control, first in Pennsylvania in 1978. They vary in color, just as ladybugs do, from yellow, orange, to red, but have a distinctive M mark on their whitish heads as compared to our native ladybugs. 
And so actually on the Garden Dilemma's website, you'll see photos. And that is the distinctive thing. The Asian lady beetle has more of a whitish head and again an M mark in black on the head. So that is quite the difference. They're actually more colorful than the uh, desirable ladybug. And while the Asian lady beetle also eat aphids, they are frustrating little critters that swarm inside homes to hibernate. It was fun to release the little ladies, and while I haven't been able to find them at work, the hydrangea looks happier and now are in full bloom. How to attract beneficial ladybugs was another question. They sell ladybug lures that attracts them by some sort of sound, but that sounds a little iffy to me. Rather than that, why not plant plants that attract them, such as dill, garlic, parsley, chives, mint, and cilantro? Calendula is one of my favorites and one of theirs, along with geranium, sweet alyssum, yarrow, Queen Anne's lace, and butterfly weed, just to name a few. They're even fond of dandelions. Yay! Dandelions are one of my favorite lawn guests. And so, luring ladybugs is another reason to keep those glorious yellow faces in your herbicide and pesticide-free lawn. Garden Dilemmas? AskMaryStone.com Thanks for coming by. I look forward to chatting again from our screen porch. I always enjoy our visits, and I enjoy all of you that email me at askmarystone at gmail.com or visit me on the Garden Dilemmas Facebook page. And if you could, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe and share the column and podcast with your friends so that more can become part of our community of spreading the word of how nature and our gardens help heal and grow our lives. Thanks so much. You can follow Garden Dilemmas on Facebook or online at GardenDilemmas.com and on Instagram at hashtag Mary Elaine Stone. Garden Dilemmas, Delights, and Discoveries is produced by Alex Bartling. Thanks for coming by. I look forward to chatting again from my screen porch. And always remember to embrace the unexpected in this garden of life. Have a great day.